All right, so we want to celebrate that. Jesus celebrates that. He says, the greatest among you will be a servant. So Jesus is really into serving. He's into selfless service. This is why we did what we did yesterday. It is his very heartbeat. It's what makes his heart beat fast. Is anybody a Caps fan? Anybody a Caps fan? Please, please. Are you feeling good this morning? Are you, like when the Capitals win, right? When the Cap, when they actually outscore the Penguins, which seldom happens, when they do that, does it make your heart beat fast? Like, does that make you want to say, yeah. does anybody, when you watch a game, like, yes, does anybody here do that? Yes. Anybody? Okay. Like, I would be crazy when the Redskins were winning. I'm like, my heart would just be explode. Yeah, I used to do that, right? I don't do that anymore. I don't do it because I wouldn't do it. I do it because they don't win, and that's a problem. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying to you is, is when your team wins, when your team wins, your heart beats fast. It just does. If you're a fan of Jesus, your heart beats fast for service. We want to look at Luke chapter 15 because this is fascinating, everybody. Jesus tells, tells basically the same story three times in one chapter. It's the whole chapter. And at the end of each story, which we call parable, right, there's this huge celebration. So I would like to read this to you because Jesus is telling us, he says, hey, if you're a fan of mine, if you're a follower of mine, here's what makes my heart beat fast and here's what should make your heart beat fast. Listen, you learn a lot about somebody by what they celebrate, right? If somebody celebrates something, say, oh, okay, okay, I, I know a lot about you because of, so here's what Jesus celebrates in Luke chapter 15. So very, very important. So here we go. Luke 15, starting in verse number one. I'm going to read these verses and I'll stop along the way and break a few things down for you, okay? Starts this way. Tax collectors and sinners. All right, we're not going to make it very far. Let's stop right there. Some of us read the Bible and we're like, yeah, man, why does it do that? There's so much cultural baggage with this term, sinners, sinners. We don't like it. It's like somebody has the moral high ground and looking down on somebody else. What you need to know is Jesus is not into that either. He's not looking for that. He actually tells us we're all in the same boat. But what we like to do as human beings is we like to classify people. We like to put them in this, you know, like, well, those, are the, those are the sinners. The Bible doesn't do that. Jesus is not into that. But this is what human nature always does. We, there's always an other. Because that's just human nature. doesn't matter where you, doesn't matter if you're on the sinner side or you're on the saint side, you're always looking at this over here. And Jesus says, we're all together. He always brings people together. Okay, let's move on. They're crowding around him. You know what that's saying? Is people, basically, these people would not be caught dead in church. These are the people who would never go. So the non-church goers were constantly, what we're told here, were crowding around Jesus. They wanted to be around Jesus. They were inspired by the message of Jesus Christ. Okay, they're crowding around to listen to him. Not just to see what he's doing. They want to hear. This is amazing. Your message is amazing. So the Pharisees, they're the churchgoers. And I know today we look at people, oh, you're a Pharisee, and that's kind of a demeaning thing. But back then, those were, I mean, those are the rule keepers. Those are the people that people look up to. They were generally fairly wealthy. They were generally fairly disciplined, high moral people, okay? And you, look, you respected them. You looked up to them. You wanted to be them. They're the churchgoer, right? So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law of Moses started grumbling. They started grumbling. They don't like this. Why don't you like this? They said this. This is what they said. This man, Jesus, 
is friendly with sinners. And then it says this, he even eats with them. You know what it means to eat with somebody in that culture there 2,000 years ago, in that culture in the Middle East 2,000 years ago? It means you're accepting them. Like, hey, we're going to be friends. We're going to be friends. I want to be, be in relationship. I don't want to be other. I want to be friends with you. And that's not good. Then Jesus told them the story. So here it comes, three stories in a row. Here's the first story. And he starts, he starts them easy. You've got to like Jesus for this. He says, if any of you has a hundred sheep, everybody's a shepherd, and a lot of, right? Shepherding in Israel is a big deal. It's what you did for your career. So, okay, so if any of you has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will you do? What will you do? Won't you leave the 99 in the field and you're going to go look for that one lost sheep until you find it? And when you find it, you're going to be so glad that you're going to put it on your shoulders. I mean, you're not going to yell and scream. You're going to like put it on your shoulders. Come on, carry it home. Then you're going to call all your friends and your neighbors together. And then what does it say? What does it say? Let's what? celebrate. Jesus is saying, my heart is beating fast. Let's celebrate. I found my lost sheep. Then Jesus said, in the same way, there's more happiness in heaven because of one sinner. Again, now, look, he's using their terminology here. He's not saying, oh, yeah, sinner. Okay. He loves all people. Jesus is standing in between these classifications that they classified as sinners and the churchgoer and the not. He's standing between. He's bringing the two together. He said, hey, guys, there's more happiness in heaven because of one sinner who turns to God than over 99 people who don't need to. There's more happiness over one person who feels really distant from God or really distant from the church or maybe is confused about God's love and all of a sudden understands God's love than those people who are on the inside and they feel like, well, we don't. There's nothing. We don't really need to change anything about our lives. There's nothing we really need to learn about our lives. We're, we're, we're kind of all good. You know what's fascinating here? He says, there's more joy in heaven. Now, if you really believe Jesus is who he says he is, then what you believe is he actually has been in heaven and he's watched the celebration take place, which is kind of fascinating, isn't it? He's watched the party. He saw the people come out with the party hats. And then, whoa, right? He saw that happen. He's like, whoa, this is what happens. This is what makes his heart beat fast. So this all-out search, right, for what? What well, the sheep represent a career. Of course. You'd go all out for your career. You'd go, and everybody would celebrate. Oh, you did a great job. You made it. You got the promotion, right? You got the, you landed the contract, you sold your startup for a million dollars. Yeah, of course you would crawl on your hands and knees for your career. Of course you would. And then you'd celebrate when you got it. Story number two. Then Jesus tells another story. What will a woman do if she has 10 silver coins? It's her savings, her whole savings account. Oh, my gosh. What would she do if she has 10 silver coins and loses one of them? Won't she light a lamp? Won't she sweep the floor? Won't she look carefully until she finds all-out search for your savings account? All-out search for your career. Get your career, man. All-out search for your savings account, okay? Then she's going to call. Once she finds it, she's going to call in her friends and neighbors. Same thing. And say what? Let's celebrate. Heart is beating fast. I have found my savings. I found the lost coin. And Jesus said, in the same way God's angels are happy when one person turns to him, when one person understands the love of God. 
all the angels. So we got heaven rejoicing. We got angels busting loose in there. Everybody's blowing the party hat. People are saying, Jesus, this is what makes my heart, this is what makes my heart be fast. Then he tells a third story. Now, the first one was about a career. The second one was about a savings. And all of a sudden, this one gets really, really personal. It's about a son. And because it's so long, I'm just going to verbally tell it to you, okay? Tremendous similarities, except for one thing. Tremendous similarities, except for one thing. Why in the world would Jesus tell us three stories in a row? Did he forget he told us the first one? Did he forget he said the second one? Why is he telling? He's telling us three things in a row. Because when Jesus tells us something, when the Bible tells us something three times in a row, it says, this is mega of importance, like super important. You should really pay attention to this. This is really important. So he tells us a story about the lost son. So he says, there's a son. We call him the prodigal son. And he goes to his father, very disrespectful, goes to his father. He says, dad... I want my half of the inheritance and I want to leave. It's tremendously disrespectful to his father. Very, very bad, right? This story does not glorify either people who are classified, right? Classified as sinners who kind of break all the rules and it doesn't glorify people who keep all the rules. It does something in between. Keep that in mind because this son goes away and he breaks his dad's heart. I mean, sometimes we get a wrong opinion because it says, oh, the sinners and kind of the rule breakers are all hanging around. Jesus is like, yeah, I want to be one of those. Those are the cool ones. They're the rebels. They're not. They're not. How many of us have had our hearts wounded deeply, deeply because somebody broke the rules with us? How many of us have been hurt so deeply, whether in a family or in a friendship or in a romantic relationship, because somebody had a different opinion on the rules. So there's no glorification of this. And this son goes away and he breaks his dad's heart. He basically is saying to his dad, I wish you were dead, but could you just give me the money? I want to go. And then he wastes all of his money. So he's really foolish. So he wastes his career. He wastes his money. So he kind of incorporates the two stories right there together and it's all gone. And then he wakes up and he says, well, this doesn't work. And he's out and we're told he, as a young Jewish boy, gets a job feeding pigs. And then he say he longs to fill his stomach with the slop that he's feeding the pigs. And then he finally wakes up and says, this is not working. I thought breaking all the rules would be a really cool thing to do, right? Maybe some of us has been there when we were in college. We thought it was the cool thing to do. And then we woke up one day and says, not so cool. It's not so cool. He says, I'm going to go back. This is not good. So he goes back and he has this old speech in his mind together. And he goes back and he says, dad. And his dad says, no, don't say a word. He wraps his arms around his son. He's probably all just felt with the pig. He just wraps his arms around. I love you. I love you. And he puts a robe, a special robe on him, puts a ring on his finger. His father is willing to risk his entire reputation because the community would say, what are you doing? What are you doing? Are you crazy? Look how he's disrespected. You should disown him. Matter of fact, the community would have risen up and stoned the boy. But the father, which a father would never do because gentlemen didn't do in that age, they would never run. And he runs to his son, grabs him, and they have this big, huge celebration. And then we're told the older brother, he hears the celebration. Now, the older brother is who? Older brother is the rule keeper. The older brother is the church goer. He represents the Pharisees. He represents the one that's in church all the time. He's angry. And the dad hears about it. He says, hey, you know, your other older son, he's outside. He won't come into the big party. He's not celebrating. He goes out and, and, and the old, he's like yelling at his dad. What are you doing? Why did you do this? I've been here. I've been keeping the rules the whole time. And this guy who comes back, what well, you should disown him. The dad says, no, we've got to celebrate. What's the issue? The issue is, is the older brother, the church going brother just didn't love his brother the way his dad loved the brother. He had a lot to learn about the love of the father for the younger brother. Now in that culture, 
Think about this. Story number one, there's an all-out search for the career. Don't let you, nobody would fault you for that. Don't let your career go south. Second, search at your savings. Nobody going to fault you for that. That's what he's saying to them. Of course. The, the Pharisees are, because he's speaking to the Pharisees. He's, he's speaking to the churchgoer here in Luke 15. It's all about the churchgoer. So I, you would do everything for your career. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Of course. I would. Yeah, of course, Jesus. I would go. I would cut my knees. I would do anything to get the sheep back. Of course I would. Of course. Well, how about your savings? Of course. Well, how about this son? No way. So what's interesting is the first two stories, there's always an all-out search. There's an all-out search. Third story, there's no search. Nobody's searching. So I want to ask you, who do you think? Who do you think in that culture should have been searching for the younger brother? Who? It was the older brother's responsibility. Yet he refuses to go. Why does he refuse to go? Because it's going to cost him too much. That's his ring. That's his robe. That's his reputation. And he said, there's no way. There is no way that I'm going to pay that price. He's got what's coming to him. And Jesus says, my heart beats fast for reaching out to all of my children because I love them so much and I want them to come together. Two things I'd like to say about Jesus from this story that seems so obvious to us, and that's this. Jesus celebrates two things, simplicity and diversity. Simplicity and diversity. He celebrates. We by our human nature, gravitate towards complexity and exclusivity. It's just who we are as human beings. This is what we do. We are in curvatus ense. We have a sarx, S-A-R-X. You've read maybe, maybe you've read in the Bible and it's confused you like it did for me for years. It talks about the flesh. Oh, the flesh doesn't want to know. What does that mean, flesh? That's weird. This sounds weird. I don't like it. The, fle- the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So strange. So let me, real nutshell, tell you what it means when the Bible says flesh. It means your human nature, which is turned in, in curvatus insight. It's turned in on ourselves. We want to do what makes ourselves feel good, and we always gravitate towards complexity, right, and exclusivity, because then I can say, I'm over here, and I can keep other people either down or out until they, right? And Jesus says, no, I love everybody. Welcome them in in my name. They need to know my love for them. But the person who's been around for a long time, we want to feel special. And there's nothing wrong with feeling special. But if we feel special long enough and we allow that to slip into our spiritual lives, we no longer are special. We're just spoiled. This is why Jesus tells this story. Look what he says to the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He says, you guys, they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put it on other people's shoulders. He's talking about all the rules, all the complexity of the rules. These rules are so complex. God's not complex. I mean, in the beginning, we start the Bible off. There's one tree. There's one command. That doesn't seem very complex to me. Stay away from the one. And by the time we get to the Pharisees here, they have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of rules and laws. We make it real because we gravitate towards it. That's what human nature does. We start out with one thing and all of a sudden we've got thousands of things because human nature wants to because it makes us feel more special. Special. I got my people. I got my tribe. This is who I am. I got my place. And then Jesus comes, right? And he says, look, let me boil it down again for you. One command, love. Now, doctrine's great. I hope, I hope doctrine is really important. Jesus says, they will know you by your 
Anybody know how he ends that? They'll know you by your love. If you're one of my followers, they're going to know you by your, not going to know you by your doctrine. Now, I hope doctrine is important because I spent more than half of my life studying it. Here's the key about doctrine. If it doesn't track back to love, you got the wrong doctrine. That's what Jesus is saying. If it doesn't track back to love, you got the wrong doctrine. If it doesn't track back to making your heart beat fast for people who are kind of on the outside, so to speak, if it's not about them, then you're, you've got a messed up doctrine. You're not there. And that's just why he tells these stories. We gravitate towards complexity. We'll make it complex. Make it more difficult. Make it harder. And exclusivity. You know how it is when you're in traffic and you're trying to get on your, you're in that merge lane, right? And you're trying to get in. The traffic is really bad. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, somebody will like smile and like wave you in. Oh, okay, c- come on. And you're like, oh, oh, thank you. Oh, it's great. You can get on in there. It's great. You feel so good. And then the next day, you're in traffic again. But this time, you're not on the merge lane. You're in. You're in there. You're in the lane. And here comes somebody up beside you. And you're like, don't look. Don't look. You're kissing the back of the bumper. You know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? What is that? What happened? In 24 hours, you had so much grace. It's like, oh, thank you. I'm coming in. They're like, no, let's keep them out. Don't even look. Mm, Right? That's human nature. Human nature gravitates towards complexity. I'm in a hurry. They don't know it, but I'm in, I got some place to go. They don't have any place to go, but I got, right? It's complex and it's exclusive. It's very exclusive. Look what Jesus says later on in Matthew 23. It's a great chapter to read about human nature, what we gravitate towards. So Jesus is in Matthew 23. You, talking to the church folk, talking to the Pharisees. Why? Because of human nature, because sarks, because we're turned in on ourselves and we gravitate towards this. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven and people's faces. What are you talking about? We're living for you, Jesus. We're going to church. We're studying your word. We're not, our minds are just filled with the word. We're doing this. It's no. You're actually shutting the door in people's faces. How is that? Because of human nature. Human nature. We we have this saying around here. We've had it since we were 18 months old at this church. We're a church for people who don't go to church. Nobody came up with that, including me. It wasn't my brainchild, and I'm the worst person to lead a church for people who go to church. I've been in church my whole life. All I've known is church. As a kid, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and that was just for starters. That was just where you started at, right? It's who we are. But you know who the original person is? Church for people who go to church? It's Jesus. Because here he is surrounded by non-churchgoers, and here he is surrounded by people who lived in church, and he stands in between. The rebel stands in between the two groups. The rebel's not a part of this group or this group. The rebel is the person here. And they're the rebel because they actually can take shots from both sides. You know what I'm saying? The rebel is the person in between saying, I want to share the love of God with you. And over here, the church goer, come on, fire your heart up about what fires God up because he's celebrating this, and it's hard to do. It's hard to do. The challenge, the challenge in Luke 15 is to the church goer. Now listen, who do you think I get emails from? Do you think I ever get emails from non-church goers? Never. Never. I only get emails exclusively from church goers. And the number one email I get is, okay, I saw your church being go to church, or I came to your church, or I'm thinking about attending your church. I have one question. How in the world could you ever challenge a churchgoer at your church since you're a church where people don't go to church? 
Question, Luke 15, who's the challenge to, the church person and the non-church person? Answer, class, West Falls Church, shouted out, who knows? I think it's to the church person. Because being a church, when people don't go to church, and being a rebel with a cause and standing in between, it is more challenging, more, much more challenging to the churchgoer than the non. The gospel of Jesus Christ is challenging. And when you focus on that, man, it stretches the churchgoer like there's nobody's business. The non-churchgoer hears about it like, oh, this is awesome. Thank you. They run, they're running to Jesus. Come to our party, Jesus. They're excited. They're sitting around. They're listening. It's the churchgoer's like, oh, man. I only have churchgoers email me and say, I want to know all about your doctrine. I'm just not so sure about this thing all the time. And I don't see how. And to be honest with you, it's hard for me because, you know, I have a master's degree in divinity. I spent a lot of time studying this. And when people look down on me like, you're not the real deal. I have a Sarks, believe me. (laughs) I have it. And I want to, right? I want to. It's tough. The challenge is to the church person. But you know what? When I talk to the church people who ask me those questions, they don't even get it. They don't even get it. Like, hello, Luke 15. Do you see where the challenge is coming from? What are you talking about? How in the world could you challenge people? Jesus Christ is the original church for people who don't go to church. We like exclusivity. We gravitate because of our human nature. Aren't we all that way? I am. I like special treatment. I like that. But it spoils me if I'm exposed to. I remember I was on a missions trip years ago. I was in a country that like really celebrates pastors. Oh man, it was so awesome. It was incredible. We sat up on this stage. We were in this place, no air conditioning. It was like 2,000 people in this room. And I'm looking out on everybody, 2,000 people sitting there. Everybody's on a hard bench, no back, hard bench. They, they parade us up onto the platform, and we're sitting like in king's chairs, plush, they're red. We had fans, blow, nobody had a fan out there. We had fans blowing right on us, and it was like people clapping when we came in. I'm like, this is, I can, this is, I'm moving here. This is great. I like this. This is really, you know, awesome. We get halfway through the service. The service, the service was four hours long, four and five hours long. We didn't march in until an hour into it. Everybody else was expected to be there, but here we come. Man, this is good. We sit down. We're there. I'm I'm sitting there for about an hour, and I'm thinking, man, I'm getting hot, you know, sitting up there. And out walks a waiter with a little napkin over his arm with a tray, bringing us cold drinks. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. These are the true people of Jesus here. I love this. This is awesome. I want to feel special. But we gravitate, and it spoils us if we're exposed to that. Anybody ever sat in first class? Anybody ever sat in first class? Some of you, oh, it's okay. Be proud about it. God, gosh, the first time I sat in first class, I, I loved it for the first few minutes, and then it dawned on me, I can't, this is terrible. I'll never sit in first class again and I've been exposed to the glory of first class and I'm never going to be happy anywhere else. Like that old Seinfeld episode, right? Where they're eating this to Sundays or whatever. It was great. We, I sat in first class because we went, on, we went on a missions trip and we did it with this organization that have lots of miles. And so here we go. They bumped us to first class because this organ had so many miles. And there was three of us from the church, and one of them was uh, our, our youth pastor, Matt Komar. And so we sat going down first class all the way to Guatemala, and we sat coming back. 
all the way. But what I didn't realize is Matt Comar, youth pastor, he didn't, he didn't get the first class. I didn't, I thought all of us, but he didn't get that at all. So I always used to wonder why in the world did they seat first class? Because I would thought I would want to be seated last in first class, like get everybody on and then I'll come and sit down. I'll stay. But no, 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 no. It's very, it's psychological. You want to sit there so you can watch everybody. And you can say, yeah, man, if you would just would have done better, if you just been a better person, you'd be up here with me. It just makes you feel good. Right? So Matt Comar, he's sitting back there. I realized it. And I thought for a second, man, I feel bad for our youth pastor. You know what? I'm going to go back and tell him he can have my seat. And I'm going to go sit back there. But it didn't take me long to push those thoughts out of my head. You know what I'm saying? It was so, it was so easy. And, and so this group we were with, there was, there was a pastor, great guy, guy from, from Minnesota. And then he came walking. He was on the same plane with us, right? And so he comes walking. He didn't even look at me. He just like, look, and he just with his face like this, I hate you. <laughs> you know, because that's, right? We want, if you've ever booked, I booked, re, I don't book often, but I booked a flight recently and there's all these options. There's all these upgrades. So you start feeling more special. Like if you'll pay us 25 bucks, we'll let you board first. So you can like, I'm in group one. I'm in group one. Y'all not in group one, right? 25 bucks for $35. We're going to give you an extra three inches, three inches, right? On your seat, right? For 45 bucks, we're going to let you sit on the extra row for $75. We're going to let you sit on the front row for a thousand bucks. We're going to put you in first class. And if you give us $10,000, we're just going to let you fly the plane, right? We want that exclusive. It feels great. It's awesome. But when that slips into our spiritual realm, when that spits it, right? then there's a problem. Then we're no longer special. We're just spoiled. And that's what's being pointed out here. Jesus tells this fantastic story in Matthew chapter 20. He says, there is a landowner. And this landowner says, I've got a lot of work to do in my field. So really early in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning, he hires people like for a denarius. He says, I'm going to pay a denarius, work all day for me. It's okay. That's seven o'clock in the morning. So they're out in the field first. They've been there a long time. At 9 o'clock, he says, you know what? I need more people. So at 9 o'clock, he goes out. He says, I need more people. Come on to the field. And he realizes it again at 12 o'clock. He realizes it again at 3 o'clock. And then finally at 5 o'clock, when there's one hour left in the day, I need more people working in my field. They come and they work. So now 6 o'clock is pay time because you pay people at the end of the day. You know what he gave the people who started working at 5 o'clock? They worked one hour. He gave a denarius. So the people who started at 7 a.m. said, oh, this is a generous guy. He's going to give us more. You know what happened when he came to pay the seven o'clock workers? He gave them the same exact thing. They said, wait a minute. How can you do this? We've been here longer. We want more. And that's just natural. It's natural. When you've worked at a business for a long time, don't you want to be paid better, more pay? Don't you want higher pay? All right? Don't you want more benefits? Don't you want more time off? Don't you want a better office? How about a private bathroom? And the most important thing of all, better coffee right? You got to have, it's natural, it's human nature. But when that slips into your church world, when that slips into you spiritually, it's, Jesus says it spoils everything. It spoils absolutely everything. There is a, there's a big move to plant churches. Let me explain what that means. That means to start churches in America, to start a brand, brand new church. You know how many churches will close down in the United States of America this year? It's estimated 10,000. And yet at the same time, people who like study what's happening in the church world, this is interesting. This is very interesting. Like we're closing 10,000 churches down. There's this massive church, uh, push to start, 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 start more churches. And you've got to say to yourself, don't you have to say to yourself, why? 
I mean, why do we want to start when we're closing 10,000? This is ridiculous. You know why? I'll tell you why. It's very clear. In the first five years of a church, ready for this? This is really important, particularly if you're a church person. In the first five years of the church, as much as 40% of the people who will attend a brand new church in the first five years, as much as 40% will have never been to church before in their life. Either that or they hadn't been to church in a very, very long time. 40%. So in those first five years in a brand new church, when it's just kind of getting off the ground, it's all about them not about us. Now, something magical happens between year five and 10 because the time you reach year 10 in the life of a church, 95 plus percent of the people sitting in that church are all church people. For some reason, it's no longer about them. It's all about us, Matthew 20. And when that happens to a church, it spoils, and it's not the heartbeat of Jesus. Jesus' heart beats to stand in the gap in the middle between the two. Jesus is the original church for people who don't go to church. It's what it makes his heart beat faster. And the older brother refused to go out and to search. He would search for his career. He would search for his savings. But he would not search for the very thing that Jesus Christ loves the most. And that's another person who is on the outside. What? No. He wouldn't make any changes. He wouldn't make any accommodations for that. No way. There's no way I'm going to do it. And Jesus, that's my heartbeat. That's what matters the most. You do it for this and you do it for this, but you won't do it for this one thing. He says, in order to do it, you have to be like a rebel with a cause to stand in between these two groups. It's it's cost me my reputation. You know, I have pastors say to me, you're a church people who go to church. You're one of those churches, aren't you? Like you make it easy for people who don't go to church to come to your church. They don't say it in a nice way, right? Because in the church world, in the church world, it's not a good thing. Will we be the rebels that Jesus Christ is calling us to be, to stand in between, to do what Luke chapter 15 talks to us about, which is so important? Look, uh, people say this to me all the time, so I need to pass the compliment on to you because it's really, it's really all about you, to be honest. I have people stop me. They stopped me yesterday at our Loco for Local event, right? And they said, look, hey, um, I just want to thank you for creating such a welcoming atmosphere. I've never been to church or I haven't been to church in a really long time. And man, I just feel it. The atmosphere, the culture, I just feel like so welcomed right away. I have people say to me, you know what? I've been coming. I've never talked to you before. I've been coming to Grace for like three months and I'd never been to church or I hadn't been to church in a long time. I just, I cried. Both men and women will tell me this. I just like cried for the, I like, had my head down, like, you know, but I was crying because I felt so welcome. I want to thank you. And here's, what I, here's why I need to pass the thank you because they're telling it to me. But here's the reality. People will make up their minds in the first seven minutes. They'll make up their minds by the people in the parking lot by our wonderful parking team who create that atmosphere, by our greeters at the door, and all of you that they're walking by on their way in. They'll make the decision by the way they're greeted at the coffee table and here in the first seven minutes, long before I ever say a word. So the pressure's really not on me. It's on you. And actually, you must be doing a great job, okay? So I'm passing the thank you along to you for creating that atmosphere. It's the very heartbeat of Jesus Christ. It's what we should be the most excited about. If you're fired up about Jesus, if you're a fan of Jesus, you're a fan of that. Now, I want to end by telling you a story. A friend of mine died recently. 
And um, we were separated by a number of years in age. He's a considerable amount older um, than me. His name is Bill. And um, Bill's a tough guy. Um, Bill grew up in Cleveland uh, way back in the day when nobody was eating tofu in Cleveland when he was growing up there, right? He was just a tough, kind of rough and tumble guy, would not be caught dead in church. Bill was a great basketball player, which is where our connection came from. He was drafted in 1965 by the New York Knicks, right? He was a great ball player. I met him when he was in his late 50s. He had gotten quite a bit bigger this way, right? But he had a tremendous amount of knowledge, you know, uh, uh, about basketball. He loved it. He loved basketball, and he let you know he's very outspoken. He was very rough and tumble. Uh, you would be uncomfortable with some of the things he would say and do. But uh, we, we played, when we played our pickup games, uh, there was a pretty high caliber where we played, okay? And if somebody came and they were not anywhere near that caliber, all right, he would say things that, well, he would just tell people, look, you're, you stink. Leave and never come back. He would just like get up. He, I mean, this guy in his 60s would be in fistfights. I would say tough, just really hardcore, all right? So, uh, and he would just, I mean, I would never say, I was glad he did, but you know what I'm saying? We want to, <laughs> yeah, never come back, right? And so everybody who was a good ball player really appreciated about them, but we also cringed at the same time. And thing is, when you have somebody who has all that knowledge and they kind of got all that, you know, bigness about them, oh man, they can be devastating. So my game is I ran off picks, if you know what that means. That was, I was a mid-range game. I ran off picks all day and Bill was an awesome pick setter. And we became fast friends because of that. And I felt bad a lot of times because I would run guys off picks and I would just hear them when they'd smash into Bill or they'd fall on the ground like, oh man, I'm glad I'm not you. You know what I'm saying? It was, just, it was, it was great. So one day Bill said, hey, um, I'm coming to your church. Oh, shoot. <laughs> you know, I, this could go really badly. This could be bad. And if it goes bad, he's going to tell everybody about it. I'm going to hear about it. It's going to be really bad. And um, he came to grace years ago when he wouldn't be caught dead in any church. Never. And he loved it. If he had sensed for a second any exclusivity, any of this higher moral ground stuff, oh, my gosh, it would have gotten ugly real quick, real quick. But he came and he said after, he says, man, that was, I love that. I love the atmosphere. I love the culture. I, I want to come back. I said, okay. So he came back. And then after a few times, he, says, he had these birds. He was really into these big tropical birds. He had these big cages. Could I, this is so crazy. He says, could I bring my birds? And, and I will come with my wife. Her name was Mary. I bring Mary, you know, and... We'll go into Graceland and we'll show the kids the birds and all this. I'm like, you want to go to all that trouble? Yes, I do. I want to come to church. I want to bring the birds. He did. He did like show and tell with the birds and kids at Graceland. It's incredible. So a few weeks back, his son called me. He's like, John, uh, I just need to let you know my dad died. Yes. Oh, man, I'm so sorry. He says, John, listen, I need to tell you something. Now, if he told me this once, he's told me it 10 times. The son did over and over. He says, look, John, you know my dad didn't go to church. He loved going to grace. He loved going to grace. And I've got to tell you, John, <laughs> that means something. You don't know what that means, but that means a lot that he would go to that. He would go to Grace Community Church. He wouldn't. No way would he go. But I, you got it. I just need you to know, John, how much that meant to my dad and how much that 
meant to me. So I want to say a thank you. I want to say a thank you to a bunch of rebels in this church who are not about creating a church that's this way, but is this way, that is the very heartbeat of Jesus Christ, that looks outward, that wants... So I want to thank you all for those of you who serve to make this place happen, who set up, who break down, who greet. For those of you who give all the time generously, you know, we couldn't be here unless we actually rented this place, right? For the, we couldn't have done loco for loco unless those of you gave towards that. But you're passionate about the very heartbeat of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus scores a touchdown, you jump up and down and cheer. And I want to thank you because you're creating a place where Bill and a lot more like him can come. And it's the very heartbeat of Jesus to stand in between. You have to be rebellious. You have to be rebellious. But you're doing it. And I just wanted to say this morning, thank you so much that I knew I could invite a rough old friend of mine who wouldn't be caught dead in church to come to grace, and he would feel right at home. I'm going to ask the music team to come out wherever you are, right? Maybe, yeah, here they come. We are going to, um, we're going to sing this song uh, to close. We sang it uh, earlier about give us your heart. We're going to sing, Jesus, give us your heart. And here's what you need to know when you, when you sing this song. When you're asking... For God, when you're asking for Jesus to, to give you his heart, what you're asking for is to God to put the heart of a rebel inside of you. You're asking God to put inside of you what we read about in Luke chapter 15, to be that rebellious in between these two groups and to celebrate and to cheer on the very heartbeat of God. That's what you're asking for. So we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song, and, um, and then we're going to go out, and we're going to do it over and over again. Thank you so much for being here.